It was a Friday, sometime around 33 CE. Mary Magdalene, one of Christ's devoted followers, watched somberly from a distance as Roman soldiers crucified Jesus on a hill. According to the New Testament, Mary also saw where the body was buried later that evening. She looked on as an elder council member named Joseph shrouded Jesus' body in expensive linens. Then, somewhere on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Joseph nestled the body in a tomb and sealed it shut with a heavy stone. Mary left before nightfall, but feeling as if she needed to see Jesus' corpse one last time, she returned to the burial place the following Sunday at dawn. She even brought spices to anoint his body, though she worried she wouldn't be able to open the rock-hewn door. To her surprise, when Mary arrived, the tomb was wide open, and the linen burial clothes were still there. But Jesus' body was gone. Each of the Bible's four Gospels tells slightly different versions of what happened next. But the books all agree that Mary watched in awe as at least one man, cloaked in white, appeared before her. According to two accounts, it was an angel. This figure explained to Mary that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb because Jesus wasn't dead. He'd been resurrected. Of course, taking this story as the truth requires a leap of faith. Which is why skeptics seek a more plausible explanation for the empty tomb. Rather than believe Jesus came back from the dead, they believe maybe his body was stolen. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Today, we're covering the stolen body hypothesis, which refutes the idea that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. Instead, it suggests that someone snatched his body from its burial place and hid it from the public. In this episode, we'll explain what the Bible's New Testament tells us about Jesus' life, death, and legacy. We'll also explore how belief in his resurrection became the basis for Christianity. Then we'll dive into three conspiracy theories about who could have stolen Jesus' body. Some say it was grave robbers using necromancy. Others think it was a Jewish high priest. Many even suspect that Jesus' disciples could have taken the Messiah's body and faked his resurrection. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. 
I know for me in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today, about a third of the world's population practices Christianity, and Jesus' resurrection is the foundation beneath this faith. It gives Christians a reason to believe there's life after death, and that it's possible to ascend to heaven as long as they're virtuous on earth. Jesus' return from the dead also gives many Christians hope that they will also be resurrected during his second coming. This is a biblical prophecy of God's final day of judgment, an event yet to come, but could occur at any moment, according to Christianity. It predicts Jesus will return and bring heaven down to earth. Then he'll offer eternal salvation to those deemed worthy. These tenets of Christianity come from the second division of the Bible known as the New Testament. While it's impossible to confirm the factual accuracy of the New Testament for the sake of today's exploration, we are operating on the information written about Jesus' teaching and legacy in its 27 books. Four of the books are the canonical Gospels, accounts attributed to saints named Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. While each book likely had multiple authors, these four saints are known collectively as the evangelists who spread Christian teachings. The Gospels offer the most substantive account of Jesus' life. Beyond Scripture, though, there's a lot that's unknown about Jesus. These religious texts aren't eyewitness testimony. They're collections of stories written well after Jesus' death, passed down from older generations. It's possible they're not always historically accurate. 
According to many scholars, they're not even supposed to be interpreted literally. Paula Fredrickson, a professor of religion at Boston University, said the Gospels are a, quote, religious advertisement, meaning they use Jesus as a spokesperson to promote Christian doctrine. By portraying him as an exalted figure who could perform miracles, the authors of these Gospels are incentivizing people to abide by Jesus' teachings. But this means the Gospels may not always tell a factual narrative. All four Gospels sketch out the same broad biography of Christianity's founding father, but they were all written by different people at very different times. The Gospel of Mark, for example, was written around 70 CE, about the same time that Roman authorities overtook and destroyed much of Jerusalem. The Gospel of John was finalized sometime between 90 and 110 CE, 20 to 30 years later. The real authors of all four Gospels are still unknown. Not to mention, they all have varying details about what happened to Jesus when he died and reappeared. In the Gospel of Mark, for instance, Jesus died on the cross in agony. He cried out to God, famously asking, quote, Why have you forsaken me? Whereas in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was much calmer right before his death, he instead proclaimed that he entrusted God with his spirit. But nuances aside, the four Gospels agree on one thing. Jesus was resurrected. And most Christians still view this as history, not allegory. According to several polls conducted since 2013, roughly two-thirds of American adults believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. The Gospels explain why Jesus' resurrection is such an important pillar of religious faith by giving a detailed history of his life and what was so remarkable about it. It all started in his hometown of Nazareth in northern Israel. Jesus was likely born around 6 BCE, and he was raised as Jewish. He gained a substantial following as a preacher by putting his own twist on traditional messages. He spoke in parables about how the kingdom of God exists in heaven. He preached that only people who devoted themselves to God entirely could enter that kingdom upon death. According to the Gospels, Jesus set up his own ministry and performed miracles. He gained a reputation as a healer who could cure ailments and exorcise evil spirits. These acts made him famous throughout Israel. He recruited 12 loyal followers who became his official disciples. From there, Jesus took his teachings on the road. He attracted huge crowds of people who wanted to see his miracles and hear his message for themselves. But his platform also brought skeptics. At the time, many Jewish legal experts and traditionalists thought Jesus' teachings were too radical and that they strayed from the Old Testament. Some wealthier people, comfortable with the status quo, worried that Jesus would incite a revolution. Jesus always had detractors, but the dissent was never life-threatening until he visited Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples went to the Israeli capital around 33 CE to observe Passover. This Jewish holiday is the celebration of their exodus from Egypt around the 13th century BCE. 
As Jesus rode in on a donkey, his fans welcomed him with palm branches. They proclaimed him the Messiah, or the Savior of humankind. But it was his visit to a temple at the edge of town that created dangerous tension. According to the Gospels, Jesus was outraged when he saw merchants conducting business in a place of worship. So he flipped over their money-changing tables and drove everyone out. Once the Jewish chief priests, or temple administrators, caught wind of this, they felt threatened. Some even wanted him dead. Jesus suspected powerful leaders were coming after him. A short time later, he found a secret room in which he was able to eat a Passover meal with his disciples, the Last Supper. And by some accounts, he told everyone at that dinner that he sensed he was going to die. But he also made a promise. Jesus said that he'd come back to life and return to Galilee to greet everyone. He also predicted that someone at the table would betray him. Judas. According to the Gospels, he was the original apostle who tipped off the chief priests about Jesus' plans the following day. Sure enough, as Jesus and his disciples prayed at a garden in Jerusalem that night, soldiers came to arrest him. Shortly after he was detained, Jesus was called before Caiaphas, the high priest elected by a Roman governor. Caiaphas presided over a Jewish judicial body called the Sanhedrin Council and was essentially all-powerful in Jerusalem. He was terrified of Jesus' growing influence, so Caiaphas decided to persecute him. He asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, trying to goad him into committing blasphemy. Since the Jewish people believed an anointed person would eventually come and liberate them and introduce them to heaven, Jesus' statement that he was this very Messiah was controversial. To Caiaphas, it was sacrilegious. The Gospels differ on Jesus' response to Caiaphas' allegation. According to the Gospel of Mark, Jesus admitted he was the Messiah. But in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus ambiguously told Caiaphas, quote, You have said so. Either way, Caiaphas's questioning incited an angry mob. Those in it grew even more furious at Jesus for thinking he was the king of the Jews. Pontius Pilate presided over the trial. As the Roman governor of Judea, an area that now includes parts of southern Israel and the West Bank, he too was subject to the criticisms of angry citizens. Pilate didn't think Jesus was guilty of any egregious crimes, but apparently couldn't handle pressure from those who wanted him dead. It's believed that around April 3rd, 33 CE, Pilate ordered Jesus's execution. Jesus carried a cross to a town just outside Jerusalem. Roman soldiers stripped away his clothing. They offered him a vinegar-based drink when he said he was thirsty and nailed his body to the cross. The soldiers crucified him between two convicted thieves. They also hung a sign above his head, ironically reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, which some onlookers in the crowd mocked him for. To hasten the deaths of the two criminals beside Jesus, the soldiers broke their legs, but they left Jesus' body alone to suffer in agony. 
After six hours, he cried out to God before passing away at around 3 p.m. Joseph of Arimathea, a respected Roman council member sympathetic to Jesus, took care of his dead body. With Pilate's permission, he brought Jesus down from the cross and buried him in a tomb made of rock just outside of Jerusalem. The tomb lay idle for three days, but when Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' most loyal supporters, ventured there to anoint him, his body wasn't there. The four Gospels each have divergent accounts of what happened upon Mary's shocking discovery. According to the Gospel of Mark, a young man in a white robe appeared and told Mary that Jesus was alive. He'd meet his disciples in his home region of Galilee, just as he predicted during the Last Supper. In the Gospel of Luke, though, two people dressed in radiant white clothes visited Mary. They reminded her of what Jesus had said previously, that he'd be raised from the dead. Allegedly, when Mary told his disciples this, they didn't believe it until Jesus appeared in Jerusalem later that day. There, Jesus asked them to touch him, just to prove he wasn't a ghost. In the Gospel of Matthew, a violent earthquake shook Jesus' tomb open. Then, one angel descended from heaven and said Jesus had come back from the dead. Jesus later appeared to the disciples and instructed them to spread his teachings to the rest of the world. In the Gospel of John, Jesus reappeared and breathed on his disciples, bestowing them with the Holy Spirit. This gave them a sanctified authority to forgive others for their sins. There are discrepancies across all four accounts, but still, they agreed on the same world-changing event. Jesus rose from the dead and that he ascended to heaven. Jesus' resurrection became the springboard for a new religious doctrine. Early Christians crafted the image of Jesus as an exalted being, someone who sacrificed his life so that others could be saved. It led people to believe death could be defeated if they abided by Jesus' teachings. Once word spread that Jesus had been resurrected, people believed he was the Messiah and the Son of God. Such a supernatural event lent legitimacy to everything Jesus stood for. But to others, Jesus' resurrection was nothing more than a sham. Some believe that the gospel writers were avoiding a secret that would completely upend the basis of Christianity. That someone had actually stolen Jesus' body. Coming up, the unlikely groups behind a robbery of Jesus' tomb. It's October 20th. 2018, one day until the end of the world. I'm on the compound of a secretive religious organization interviewing a longtime member. Their leader has predicted that tomorrow will be the beginning of the apocalypse. The prediction? Yes, I am prepared. It will purify life from a lot of illusions. When I started working on this story, I was hoping to profile a unique apocalyptic group that had survived through many failed doomsday predictions. But the end of the world was just the beginning. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. I didn't specifically give my consent. I was frozen at the time. 
the angels. They arrange it that he is supposed to have sex with his students. He is an amazing teacher, and also he's a sick f This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd. Now back to the story. In some of the gospel accounts, Jesus' disciples didn't believe their Messiah had come back to life, at least not until they saw him for themselves. It's hard to fault their initial skepticism. Someone being nailed to a cross, buried behind a giant boulder, and then brought back to life as an agent of God sounds far-fetched, especially without an eyewitness account. By historical records, it's impossible to prove Jesus' resurrection. But he probably was executed under Pontius Pilate's rule around 33 CE. According to biblical scholar James Dunn, Jesus' crucifixion is almost universally regarded to be historically accurate. And if Jesus was in fact hung up on a cross, something had to be done with his body after he died. It's just that scholars aren't sure if it was in fact buried. According to the New Testament, Jesus' tomb was found mysteriously empty. But if this part of the Bible is true, that he was buried in a tomb outside Jerusalem, that doesn't mean Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe there's a more plausible explanation for the body's absence. After all, there were bandits in ancient Rome who were known to steal dead bodies from tombs. It was nearly an epidemic around the time of Jesus' death. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number one. Grave robbers stole Jesus Christ's body. Grave robbing was a common problem in Roman provinces during the first century BCE, mostly because corpses were buried with valuable accessories, from clothes and ceramics to gold, silver, and jewelry. Outlaws snuck into burial sites late at night to dig out the tombs, then, they'd steal the expensive wares and sell them on the black market. Sometime in the beginning of the first century, an unnamed emperor gave an official order to the people of Rome. It stated that anyone caught robbing tombs and snatching bodies would be put to death if found guilty by a tribunal. This practice had already been illegal in Rome as far back as 43 BCE. But the emperor's new edict implied that the real problem wasn't stealing items from the graves. It was stealing the bodies themselves. The decree was etched on a marble tablet, supposedly right around the time Jesus had died. Some archaeologists suspect it came from the Roman city of Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. So the order became known as the Nazareth Inscription. And some historians think it could have been decreed specifically because Roman authorities were searching for the burglars who'd stolen Jesus' body. Which makes sense, because some grave robbers had a motive to take the tomb's corpse along with all of its accessories. That reason was necromancy. Necromancy was a form of sorcery commonly practiced in ancient Rome. Supposedly, it allowed people to communicate with the dead. Necromancers sought to summon a dead person's spirit to learn about the future or seek out divine wisdom. If that's the case, Jesus' corpse would have been the most valuable body a sorcerer could find. 
But there's no evidence to prove necromancy actually worked. Although there were some, those who fancied themselves as sorcerers in the first century, who firmly believed it did. A famous early historian named Tacitus discovered that a Roman emperor named Germanicus may have practiced necromancy. Apparently, someone in the emperor's house found human body parts within Germanicus's quarters, along with various spellbinding paraphernalia. According to biblical historian Richard Carrier, ancient Romans felt graves had to be guarded to prevent witches from stealing bodies. Some of the necromantic spells involved the human skull. Sorcerers often slipped scrolls into dead people's mouths to ask them questions. One spell even asked for the heart of someone who died prematurely. Jesus certainly fit that bill. Knowing that necromancers also wanted a divine being's corpse, it makes sense that they might target Jesus' body. He was, after all, a supposed miracle worker who could walk on water and predict the future. Jesus' corpse would certainly be a sorcerer's crown jewel. But there are several holes in this theory that make it doubtful. The Gospel of John says there were linen cloths left in the empty tomb. According to Bible instructor Warren Wearsby, Joseph was wealthy, and the linens he draped on Jesus were likely expensive. A grave robber would have likely snatched them along with a body. According to some researchers, the intricate clothes also would have taken a while to remove. It wouldn't make sense for a burglar, trying to escape with contraband, to spend that much time carefully disrobing Jesus. There's also no evidence connecting grave robbery to Jesus' missing body. Sure, it was a common crime in ancient Rome. But according to the Gospel of Matthew, guards manned Jesus' burial site around the clock. They likely would have spotted and arrested someone coming to raid the tomb. But to be fair, Matthew is the only Gospel that mentioned guards. According to the other accounts, Jesus' tomb could have been deserted for two whole nights. We also don't know how strong the security presence was, or if there were other passageways to access the tomb. Even so, one of the theory's biggest draws is the Nazareth inscription, the decree etched in stone that was supposedly meant to keep robbers away from Jesus' grave. As it turns out, this marble tablet wasn't from Nazareth at all. A curator at the Louvre Museum named Wilhelm Froner bought it in 1878. While there's no written record of where it came from, Froner left a vague note with the tablet that read, Sent from Nazareth. In 2020, archaeologists ran carbon dating and other geochemical tests to discover the tablet's true origins. They concluded that it wasn't quarried in Nazareth, but instead on the Greek island of Kos. And it was likely meant to guard a tyrant's grave who died long before Jesus had. It's unclear why Froner claimed it was from Nazareth. Perhaps merchants from Kos traded the artifact to Nazareth before he bought it. Or Froner's sellers could have lied about the tablet's true origins. Either way, it's definitely not from Jesus' hometown. That's definitely a plot hole. But I still think this theory has some legitimacy. We know necromancy was occurring around the time Jesus died. 
He was one of the most famous people on the planet, and supposedly a divine being. He would still fit the profile for a tomb that grave robbers would target. But since there's no first-hand account of burglars getting caught or tried for this crime, I'll err on the side of caution. Which is why, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the definitive truth, I'm giving this theory a 5. That feels a little generous. The marble tablet is the biggest piece of evidence powering this theory. But it's totally irrelevant to Jesus' life, or even the region he was said to be buried in. I also can't quite understand why grave robbers, even if they were necromancers, would have left Jesus' burial clothes behind. I give this theory a two. It's possible necromancy isn't the best explanation for Jesus' empty tomb. After all, someone else had a much clearer motive to empty the burial site. Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest who'd wanted Jesus dead. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number two. Caiaphas organized a plot to steal Jesus' body and stave off a rebellion from Jesus' followers. Caiaphas was wary of Jesus from the get-go. Once the preacher from Nazareth became famous, Caiaphas worried that he'd incite a social upheaval. Jesus was a revolutionary who preached against acquiring material wealth. In the Gospel of Matthew, he urged people to strive for treasures in heaven instead of on earth. In the Gospel of Luke, he told his disciples to renounce their riches and care for poor people. This was a threatening message for the aristocracy. Caiaphas and the rest of Rome's upper class were comfortable with their lot. They weren't looking to redistribute their wealth or disturb the status quo. Caiaphas was also reeling from Jesus' outburst at the money-changing tables outside the temple. Caiaphas may have worried that Jesus would incite a mob or possibly even overtake the government. According to a passage in the Gospel of John, Caiaphas and his fellow chief priests said, quote, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So Caiaphas orchestrated a plot to persecute and kill Jesus. He interrogated the famous preacher about whether he thought he was king of the Jews, then he charged him with blasphemy. This caused people who weren't staunch followers of Jesus to turn on him. Once there was enough ill will against Jesus, they called for his crucifixion. But according to a Greco-Roman historian named Charles Freeman, Caiaphas still had to do something with Jesus' dead body. So it's possible he hatched a plan to steal it and hide it from the public. In his book called A New History of Early Christianity, Freeman writes that Caiaphas worried that Jesus' tomb would become a pilgrimage site. The chief priest didn't want large crowds to congregate and treat the grave like a shrine. Allegedly, he worried it could incite a riot. So, according to Freeman, one possible scenario is that Caiaphas secured a tomb, placed his guards at the site, and then took Jesus' body. Then he planted junior priests at the gravesite to fake a resurrection. As the theory goes, those were the priests dressed in white who told Mary Magdalene that Jesus had risen from the dead. And apparently, she mistook them for angels. 
According to Freeman, Caiaphas may have faked Jesus' resurrection because he wanted to steer the commotion out of Jerusalem. By getting Jesus' followers to see him in the resurrected flesh in Galilee, dozens of miles away, he believed he was avoiding unrest in Israel's holiest city. Freeman explained that once the crowds were out of Jerusalem, Caiaphas wouldn't have cared what anyone thought about Jesus. Galilee was outside of Caiaphas's political jurisdiction. Baiting people there was a strategic play to restore order in his city. I still see one big problem with this theory. By faking a resurrection to quell civil unrest, Caiaphas would have galvanized one of the biggest religious movements in world history. He would have given Jesus' supporters more reason to believe in him and his divinity. Maybe, but the chief priest's primary goal did pay off. According to some of the gospel accounts, he got what he wanted in steering all of Jesus' followers out of Jerusalem. But there's also the issue of Jesus' disciples. They claim to see him in the flesh after he rose from the dead. If Caiaphas faked Jesus' resurrection, there shouldn't be any section in the gospel claiming people actually spoke to or even touched Jesus after his death. That may go back to where the gospels lack historical accuracy. Freeman argued the disciples didn't literally see Jesus. He claimed they could have been emotionally exhausted, sleep-deprived, or even hallucinating. They also could have made up their posthumous sightings of Jesus. Some pastors take issue with this part of Freeman's theory. He relies on the historical authenticity of the Gospels for some facts, like the discovery of Jesus' empty tomb. But he does the opposite, questioning the Gospels' accuracy when it comes to other information, like when Jesus addressed his apostles after his burial. This comes off as factual cherry-picking to suit the narrative he wants to tell. That's a fair reservation, but I still buy Caiaphas's motives here. He wanted to get people out of the city he governed so he wouldn't get into political trouble. It also makes sense that the two people who appear before Mary at the empty tomb were priests instead of angels. I give this theory a 5 out of 10. It's true that Caiaphas had the motivation to diffuse anything related to Jesus. But I don't think he wanted people to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Caiaphas was smarter than this theory gives him credit for. He knew how much commotion news of a resurrection would cause. If he really wanted to keep the peace in Jerusalem, I don't think stealing Jesus' body was the way to do it. I give this theory a three. Maybe Jewish priests weren't the likeliest culprit of anyone to steal Jesus' body. But there's one faction that had an even bigger reason to fake his resurrection. Though Jesus had plenty of enemies, it was those who loved him the most that had the strongest motive. Perhaps the stolen body hypothesis was an inside job. Coming up, why Jesus' own disciples might have stolen his body. Now, back to the story. For centuries, scholars have debated whether Jesus Christ really was resurrected or whether his body could have been stolen. The likelihood that grave robbers practicing a form of magic stole Jesus' body is slim. 
and the same goes for Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest. Yet there was motivation for Jesus' followers to intervene. They didn't want their fallen Messiah to die in vain. Which brings us to conspiracy theory number three. Jesus' disciples stole his body from the tomb in order to vindicate his name and gain religious power. This is the most popular version of the stolen body hypothesis, mainly because it's the only one explicitly mentioned in the Bible. According to the Gospel of Matthew, Pontius Pilate sent guards to patrol Jesus' tomb on a Friday around 33 CE, the same day he was executed. When Mary approached his grave on Sunday, an earthquake shook the tomb open. Then an angel appeared, scared away the guards, and told Mary that Jesus had risen from the dead. They reported the angel's message back to the Jewish chief priests. After a meeting with council elders, the priests bribed the guards to lie about what they had seen. Instead, they instructed the soldiers to say that once night had fallen, Jesus' disciples snuck into the tomb and snatched the body unnoticed. Allegedly, the guards accepted the bribe. They too didn't want anyone to think Jesus had actually risen from the dead. But there are some people who believe the guards spread that version of the events because it was true, not because the Jewish authorities had bribed them. After all, Jesus' disciples had several compelling motives to steal his body. One of them is called the pious fraud. According to this claim, Jesus' disciples wanted to restore his name and public image after his death so that his teachings would live on. The disciples wanted to convince people that God had taken Jesus' body from earth and brought it up to heaven, known as the Ascension. This would, in essence, prove that Jesus was holy and offer more legitimacy to his worldview, and it allowed the public to trust his legacy again after he had been put on trial for blasphemy. Another layer of the theory suggests that the disciples didn't just fake Jesus' ascension into heaven, they also faked his resurrection. Because if the disciples successfully convinced enough people that Jesus had risen from the dead, they could start a new, powerful religious order. An 18th-century German philosopher named Hermann Samuel Reimarus mentioned why this was in the disciples' best interest. After all, they were revolutionaries. Buoyed by Jesus' teachings, they wanted to tilt the balance away from the Roman ruling class and create a more equitable society. When Roman soldiers crucified their Messiah and spokesperson, the disciples were in danger of losing all their political progress. Before Jesus' death, they were seen as religious leaders spearheading a new movement. It would make sense that they'd want to maintain that power. If they could convince people they were the founding fathers of a new religion chosen by a resurrected preacher, they'd gain political influence in ancient Rome and beyond. A second-century Christian philosopher named Justin Martyr popularized this view. In a work called Dialogue with Trypho, it's asserted that Jesus' disciples stole his body overnight and lied to the public about his resurrection. However, both strands of this theory, pious fraud and faked resurrection, 
have skeptics. Christian traditionalists doubt that a disciple of Jesus would willfully lie about what happened to his body. Dishonesty went against their devout faith. But Jesus had a lot of disciples, at least 70 of them, according to the Gospel of Luke. Beyond the 12 core men we commonly know, it stands to reason that a few of his followers weren't above lying, especially if it meant pursuing a worthwhile agenda, like vindicating their leader and spreading his teachings to the world. Richard Carrier, a biblical scholar, wrote that there was a good chance some of Jesus' disciples were fanatics. They would justify certain crimes if they had what is referred to as pious intent. There are plenty of other reasons to believe Jesus' disciples stole his body. For one, it would explain why Jesus' clothes were left in the tomb. The thieves needed to leave some proof to make it look like he disappeared into thin air. I will say that Jesus' disciples certainly had the manpower to pull it off. They even had a sympathizer on the inside, Joseph of Arimathea, the wealthy man who buried Jesus. He could have secretly coordinated the theft by keeping the disciples out of sight from the guards on duty. If there were, in fact, any guards on duty. Remember, the Gospel of Matthew is the only account that mentions them. It's also much easier to believe that people lied about a resurrection than one actually occurring. In fact, the only witnesses we have of Jesus after he rose from the dead are his own disciples, as told by Gospel writers. Both of these are likely biased sources who wanted to further their religious agenda. Even biblical historian Bart Ehrman, who'd spent much of his career studying the merit of the New Testament and early Christianity, said the stolen body hypothesis is much more plausible than a real resurrection. If the disciples faked a resurrection for political gain, then they certainly succeeded. Today, Christianity remains one of the world's most dominant religions, and Jesus, 2,000 years removed from his death, is still considered the most significant historical figure on the planet. You can only achieve that kind of acclaim with deliberate planning and some apocryphal storytelling. However, for us to say any of our theories are true, we'd need to confirm that the New Testament is factually accurate, which we can't do. For example, we can't independently verify if Jesus was buried. There's a lot of scholarly consensus that he was crucified. During those types of executions in ancient Rome, though, the bodies were usually left on the cross to decompose, which could be what happened to Jesus, and would therefore nullify any theories under the stolen body hypothesis. But to weigh this last theory fully, like the two before it, requires accepting Mary Magdalene's discovery of the empty tomb as the truth. If that's the case, the most logical explanation is that Jesus' disciples stole his body and faked his resurrection. They desperately wanted to clear their leader's name and start a religious revolution. Since they succeeded, I'll rank this theory a 7 out of 10. I'm inclined to give this theory a 6 out of 10. For me, the most compelling evidence for this theory is that it's explicitly mentioned in the Bible. The Gospel of Matthew brings it up just to refute it, but that feels like reverse psychology. 
the authors knew the truth and had to address it before creating their own separate story. It's tricky to litigate the stolen body hypothesis. Grave robbers, Jewish chief priests, and the disciples all had motives to break into Jesus' tomb. But because Jesus lived so long ago, there's no hard proof to implicate any of them in the crime. Still, the belief that Jesus actually did come back from the dead after being crucified has inspired Christians around the world. Two millennia after his life, millions of people still think Jesus died for their sins and defeated death, all to prove that heaven is real. Either way, the stolen body hypothesis debate misses the point of the New Testament. It's not about fact versus myth, it's about faith. Ultimately, Christianity and other world religions seek to derive meaning out of death and suffering. They provide community and act as roadmaps for how to treat others with compassion, kindness, and fairness. Which makes the debates that stem from their origin stories worth exploring. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Jackson Knapp, with writing assistance by Lori Gottlieb and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. The only way to get to heaven was to allow him sexual activity with me. These are not the people that you would normally associate with a cult. Do you think I need to be worried for my safety? I definitely think you should be prudent. This is Revelations, a Spotify original from Parcast, premiering Sunday, October 3rd.